right. Luke 10:2 says, He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. All right, here we go. The harvest is ready, but the workers are few. The harvest is ready, but the workers are few. Send us out, Lord, send us out, cause the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. The harvest is ready, but the workers are few.
And when I've come to die, yes, someday, when I've come to die, oh, and when I've come to die, just give me, give me Jesus.
Well, ladies, we are so excited for our upcoming women's conference happening in just three weeks. We have so many fun things planned for you, including workshops on various topics, worship, teaching from God's word. We've got raffles with really great prizes. We've got opportunities for prayer. And if you need one more reason, we have churros and Mexican hot chocolate. So join us at women's conference. You can register for that on our website or talk to me after service. And I would love to chat with you. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Jill. I'm one of the community life pastors here, and it is great to be with you. If you are new or visiting, we want to extend a very special welcome. We're so glad you've chosen to be with us this weekend. We have a new people's table out in the lobby with a free welcome gift, and we also have connection cards in your seat backs. You can fill those out as a way to let us know that you're new and drop them in the offering when they come around in just a moment, and one of our staff would love to follow up with you. As always, we want to give a very special welcome to those joining us online as well. And so if you're with us online, welcome, and we're glad that you're here. Well, you guys, I have several announcements for us today. So first, we are already planning and getting excited for our upcoming Easter weekend services happening on April 8th and 9th. And so we are so excited to celebrate the risen King Jesus together with you and with all those that you'll invite. We really would like to encourage you to invite people, invite your neighbors, coworkers, friends, and family to join us. As a way of encouraging you to invite people, we have placed two small invite cards on your seats. And so we want to encourage you take those with you and pray and see who God might want you to invite to join us for Easter. We also want to give you some details for our services. So we will be hosting Easter services on Saturday, April 8th at 4 p.m., right here in our South Sanctuary, and then at 6.15 p.m. here in our South Sanctuary, as well as across the street in our North Sanctuary. And then on Easter Sunday, we will have services at 9 a.m. and 11.15 a.m. Those services will happen in our South Sanctuary, our North Sanctuary, and across the street in our North Tent. So we have an outdoor tented venue for Sunday morning that's also going to be a lot of fun. And we want to let you know that at all of our service times and venues, we're going to have live worship as well as live teaching. A few other things we want you to be aware of. We are hosting a marriage seminar coming up next weekend on Saturday, March 11th. It's called Can You Hear Me? And it's a great opportunity for married couples to talk through communication to find ways to have healthy and productive and joyful communication. So you can sign up on our website or there's an info table in the lobby. We also have a three-week seminar coming up called As You Go. And the topic of that is conversational evangelism. Evangelism can often feel intimidating to us, but this uh, three-week seminar is a way to help you see how casual and easy it can actually be to talk to people about your faith in Jesus. And then finally, we love how many new people have been joining us at Christian Assembly these past many weeks and months. We love how full our services have gotten and love seeing all of you here. But as always, our heart is also to continue to make space for new people and for more and more people to be able to join us. And so one of the ways that we want to make space at our weekend services, as well as help uh, strengthen our fusion service, which is our Sunday night 6 p.m. service for young adults ages 18 to 35, is we want to ask and invite you to consider, if your schedule allows, to consider making our Sunday night 6 p.m. fusion service your home service. And so this is a great opportunity if you're here and you're a young adult, ages 18 to 35, fusion is a great way to connect with other young adults. Maybe you're here and you're not 18 to 35, but you have a heart for young adults and fusion would be a great place for you to serve and connect with others and pour into young adults. And then for some of you, your schedule just allows you to go on a Sunday night. And if you can consistently do that, we would love to invite you to consider making our Sunday 
night service, your home service, in order to open up more seats across the services at Christian Assembly. So uh, we have a card in your seat back. If you are interested in changing service times and helping us create more space for people in our weekend services by attending the Fusion service, you can fill out that card, drop it in the offering bags when they come around in just a moment, and one of our staff would love to follow up with you. We also have an info table in the lobby, and one of our pastors from Fusion, whose name is Hiro, he's in the back. Hiro, wave. That's Hiro. Uh, Hiro is here with us tonight as well, and he'll be at the table in the lobby after service, so feel free to stop by and chat with him there. Well, those are all of our announcements for today. Now is the time in our service where we get to continue in our worship through giving back to God, through the giving of our tithes and offerings. As always, uh, we will pass the offering bags in a few moments, and you can also give online through our Christian Assembly LA app or on our website. But as we prepare our hearts to give, let me remind us what God's Word says. In Psalm 119.90, this is what the Bible tells us about God. It says, your faithfulness endures to all generations. And so we give back to a God whose faithfulness endures, endures to all generations, and that includes us. So would you join me as we pray together? God, thank you so much for your faithfulness that endures to all generations. And thank you, God, that even for those who are here today or with us online that don't see or feel your faithfulness, that you are faithful, Lord, and that your word tells us that that is true, and that is true of you. So God, would you make your faithfulness known to us in real and tangible ways? And God, would you be with our Easter weekend services and even right now bring to our minds and to our hearts the names of people that you would want us to invite. Maybe those who have never heard the gospel before but would come and hear about Jesus and the good news of what you've done for us for the first time, Lord. So bless those services and bless and prepare the hearts of every person who's gonna join us for Easter weekend. Speak to us throughout the remainder of our service. We pray all this in your great name, Jesus, amen. The ushers can come forward. Leading us. If you're a visitor or guest, want to say welcome. My name's Tom, one of the uh, pastors here at CA, and um, just welcome. Of course, our CA family, great to be with you. Welcome to you as well. Want to express my love for you, my care for you, been praying for you all, all the time, every day this week, all the time praying for you, and um, just grateful for you. Two quick items, just want to say a uh, way to go on. One, for those of you who are in the Money Back Tithe Challenge, we're about a month in, and so if that's you, way to go, keep it up. Let me know if you've got some ways that you're seeing God at work in your life through the challenge. Second thing is conferences. You've heard about the women's conference. You'll hear about the men's and the, the fusion conference as well. I've had a couple people ask me, hey, how come we're not doing retreats? Well, the main reason why we're not doing retreats right now is the retreat center that we used to use became a Bible college during the pandemic and no longer is hosting retreats. So that's kind of one of the biggest challenges is finding somewhere. We've been in conversations with uh, Forest Home, uh, but they're in the midst of renovating some of their uh, places. Those aren't finished yet. And so that's why we decided to do conferences this year. Want to encourage you to make time to do the conferences. Uh, there, it's almost like a, a uh, you know a, a little shot of espresso to your faith, right? To to help strengthen your faith. It will accelerate your relational belonging if you're new. If you come to a conference, it'll help you get months ahead of where you would be if you just came each weekend. So I want to encourage you to do that. And most of all at the conferences, we're able to kind of slow down a little bit, not only in our service times, but also just in life. 
And that allows us to connect with God in a, in a deeper and a different kind of way. So I want to encourage you uh, to do that, women and then men, when it's our turn, and uh, fusion when it's uh, your turn as well. Well, we are continuing on in a series entitled Real ID, where each week we're looking at the fact that the truest thing about our identity is not what we say about ourselves, not what others say about us, but what God says about us, because he's the one who's created us. He knows us better than anybody else will ever know us. Part of our human nature is that we all have a fundamental need to be seen. You remember when you were a little kid and maybe you were on a merry-go-round or maybe you were gonna you know, ride your bike off a jump or something like that, and you would turn and you would say, Dad, watch me, Daddy, watch me. Mommy, I want you to watch. Mom, pay attention. Watch. Mom, put your phone down. Pay attention, Mom. Over here, here we go. I'm going to do it. I remember when I was a little boy uh, that, that I would do that. I wanted my dad to see. I wanted my mom to see whatever it is that I was going to do. And I remember when my kids were younger, they wanted me to see them doing something. I never taught them that. No one ever taught me to say, hey, mom, watch me. Hey, dad, watch me. I never said to my kids, hey, when you're going to do something, make certain you call to me and you tell me to watch you over and over. Make certain you... It was just in them. It's just in us. There's an award-winning journalist named William Timaeus, and he said this, you don't really understand human nature unless you know why a child on a merry-go-round will wave at his parents every single time and why his parents will always wave back every single time. But it's not just about parents and kids. The awards that we give at school and at work, the pictures that we post on Instagram and much more, all traces itself back to the fundamental part of the human nature that we need to be seen. And the Bible reveals that ultimately we're not just hoping that we're seen by one another as important as that is, but we want to know that if there's a God that we're seen by God, that we matter to God. So we continue our series, Real ID, by digging in to the good news that we, in Christ, are never alone. Let's consider that, but before we do, let's pray. So God, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy. And I thank you that you promise us that we're never alone. So as we come to your word now, would you speak to us? Lord, we don't need to hear a message from me. We need to hear a word from you. So I ask, Lord, that your word would pierce our hearts and minds, that you would comfort and strengthen and build us up, that you would renew us in the knowledge of the image of our creator and according to your word. Lord, as I speak your word, would it penetrate the places where maybe we feel lonely or afraid, where we feel disappointed or let down by others, or God, maybe even sometimes by you. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us and renew us in Jesus' name. Amen. On your way in, hopefully you got a bulletin. If you did, you can flip it open to the center section. You'll see the teaching notes that are there that you can fill out throughout our time as we go. For those of you who are joining us online, you can grab those notes through our website at cachurch.com. Genesis chapter 16 tells the story of an Egyptian servant girl or woman named Hagar. And in Genesis 15, 
God told Abram, who would eventually be renamed Abraham, that he would have a son to be his heir, and that his descendants would be as many as the stars that he would go out and, and see the stars at night. And Abram believed God, and we're told that it was credited to him as righteousness. So, so far, so good in the story. But Sarah, his wife, bore him no children. That's what we learn in Genesis 15. And this is where the story starts to go off the rails. So rather than going to God in prayer about this promise that's been given to Abram and to Sarah, Sarah tells Abram to sleep with her Egyptian servant as a way to help God produce an heir. And as we're told, what it says is Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. In other words, Abram went from listening to the promise of God to the voice of Sarah. Hagar does conceive, and now when she conceives, she begins to look with contempt upon Sarah. And Hagar begins to act arrogantly, the text tells us, towards Sarah. Sarah responds to the arrogance by dealing with Hagar harshly, which causes then Hagar to run off into the wilderness, into the desert, away from Sarah to get away from her, and she's there by herself. Now, there's no doubt at this point in the story, when Hagar runs away, that she felt alone and she felt lonely. Consider her situation. She's an immigrant from Egypt, now living in the land of Canaan, far away from her birthplace, far away from the culture that she would have known. In fact, her name, Hagar, what that name actually means is stranger. And let's just say that Abram and Sarah, they, they haven't been the most hospitable people in the, in the story up to this point. And, and sadly, they never really seem to respect Hagar in any way. In fact, when you read through the text, what you see is that when they refer to her, they never refer to her by name. They refer to her as my servant, or Abram, when he's speaking to Sarah, he says, your servant. She is insignificant as a servant girl in that culture. Nobody stuck up for her, not even Abram. Nobody saw her. She mattered to nobody. Her situation is a mess. Far from her home culture, she's now run off into the wilderness. She's hot, she's tired, she's thirsty, she's distressed, she's depressed, she's overwhelmed, and she's feeling alone. Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. But look at what happens as we continue the story in Genesis chapter 16, verse 7. This is what it says. It says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. Notice here, when the angel of the Lord found Hagar at the well, the very first word out of his mouth was Hagar. When it seemed that no one in her life would show her any decency or respect to Hagar, the one who matters most did. The very first word out of his mouth is her name. 
And Hagar's answer to God's question is interesting. She only answers half of the question. She doesn't really answer or doesn't really know where she's going. She just knows who she's running away from. You ever felt like that? You're desperately trying to get away from something or someone or some set of circumstances. You don't, you're not even necessarily running towards anyone or anything. You just know that you want out of what has been happening. Which brings us to the first point that we see, which is this. Is that even when circumstances are at their worst and you feel all alone, God knows your name and he sees your needs. Notice here, she wasn't running to the Lord, but the Lord came and found her. Right in the midst of the mess, right in the midst of the loneliness, the desperate circumstances, and he can do the same for you, and he can do the same for me. You are never alone. Abram and Sarah, they called her the Egyptian servant, but for the first time in the story, someone, namely God, calls her by name, calls her Hagar. There's an older gentleman who is part of our church family, and uh, I saw him one day from a distance, and so I, I yelled out to him, and I said, hi, Chris, and I waved to him. And he, he was a bit startled, and he was a bit kind of taken back, and then he shouted back from the distance, and he said, it's a powerful thing when someone remembers your name. It's a powerful thing when someone remembers your name. We all know that it's a powerful thing to be called by our name. But how much more powerful when it is God who is the one who calls you by name. She thought she mattered to no one, that she was a nobody, that nobody saw her. But when God shows up and calls her by name, she realized that she was not alone and she also realized that she mattered. When she encounters God, it doesn't just change her understanding of God. It changes her understanding of herself. It changes her identity. She goes from feeling like a nobody to knowing that she mattered to somebody, the king of the universe. Friends, listen, if you hear God call your name and you know that you matter to him, it may not immediately change your circumstances, but it will immediately change you. And then that changes how you see and you respond to your circumstances. The story continues this way in Genesis uh, 16, verse nine. It says, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. That's probably not what Hagar wishes God would say at that moment in time. Then he added, and I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael. Ishmael, that name means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of your distress. The second thing we see is this, is that even in your lowest moments, God will give you guidance and will also give you a promise. God doesn't just call our name and see our needs. If you're willing to listen, he will guide you on what he wants you to do next. Now, it doesn't always mean that it's gonna be easy to do. Certainly, this wouldn't be easy for Hagar to do. Hagar's pride, 
from being able to conceive whenever Sarah was not able to conceive is part of the reason why Hagar's out in the wilderness alone. The Lord tells her to go back and be humble. Now, Hagar at this point, like you and me, when God guides us, we have a choice. Her pride is part of the reason that she ended up in the wilderness, and at this point in the story, her pride can be the reason that she stays in the wilderness. God doesn't put her in a headlock and drag her back to Sarah. She has to choose to trust in the goodness of God, to obey the Lord, even when it's messy, even when it's hard. Why is it messy? Well, if I were Hagar, I might think something like this. Well, listen, God, I was a bit arrogant, but she was a bit harsh. Uh, So it's not like Sarah's a gem of a person here either in this story. I find that I can often try to excuse my sin by comparing it with someone else's. Okay, God, I'm not disputing that I sinned, but did you see what they did? I mean, you know, they're they're no peach either in the story. Like, are you paying attention to them as well? You ever do that? But notice, God doesn't just give us some tough guidance. He doesn't just give her some tough guidance. He gives her a promise to hold on to. And when you look at the story of God with people from Genesis to Revelation, that's often the case with God. That tough guidance is often coupled with even stronger promises. Let me give you another example. Jesus once said in Matthew 16, verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's tough guidance. That's not easy to do. But then he goes on the very next verse and he gives this promise. For those who want to save their life will lose it, but the one who loses their life for my sake will find it. So that's an even stronger promise. So maybe, God, you're in a season where God has given you some tough guidance and it's not easy to do. Maybe he's telling you you need to swallow your pride and, uh, you know, in, a, in a set of circumstances that you're in or that you've got to pick up your cross and there's going to be some suffering that, that is part of the story that is unfolding in front of you. But if so, what is the stronger promise that God has given you to hold on to, to go with you, as you walk with God. Whatever it is, cling to the promise as you follow the tough guidance. Hagar's encounter with the Lord continues this way. It says in verse 13, so she named the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Ber Lahai Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Now, this is a profound moment, and I don't want you to miss it. Hagar names God. She's the only person in Scripture, male or female, Jew or Gentile, who names God. Every other name of God in the Bible is revealed by God. This name, given by the immigrant woman with no power whatsoever, she names God. 
She names the God who called her by name. This, this is a big deal. She names him El Roy, the God who sees me. Imagine for a moment that God met with you and he said, listen, uh, you're the only person in the Bible that will give me a name. How would you name God? Some of you would say the God who comforts me. Some of you would say the God who heals me, the God who provides for me, the God who loves me, the God who delivers me, the God who teaches me, the God who redeems me, saves me, forgives me, adopts me, restores me. Hagar essentially says, nothing and no one escapes God's eyes. Even in our wilderness seasons, even in our desert seasons, even whenever we're part of the problem with our pride, but other people's harshness and pride has been part of the problem as well. You are Elroy, you are the God who sees me. God sees the abusive boss. God sees the stubborn child, the difficult spouse, the uncomfortable living situation. God sees you when you feel lonely, overwhelmed, distressed, discouraged, and afraid. God sees your situation, and God knows your name. And because of that, part of your real ID is that you are never alone, even when you feel it. Even when you can't understand everything that's going on. As Hagar returned to Sarah, now she returned knowing that God would be with her. Hagar at this point is now absolutely sure that she would never need to fight her battles alone. This isn't just true of Hagar in her desert moments, in her wilderness moments, and her battles. It's true of you and me in our desert moments and in our, our, our wilderness moments and battles too. How do we know? Because this promise that if you are in Christ, that you are never alone, is repeated throughout Scripture. For example, in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. I love that line. It doesn't say he will quiet you with his answers. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. What does it sound like for God to sing over you? In Matthew 28, verse 20, it says, Jesus speaking, and see, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse five, it says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? For the Lord has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And just like God found Hagar in her lowest moment, he can do that with you, he can do that with me as well. Now, we might think that's the end of Hagar's story. But 13 years later, Hagar's story takes another twist. Sarah now conceives a son that is named Isaac and now wants Abram to send uh, Hagar and Ishmael sent away. And so now Hagar is now again, 13 years later, in the desert again. But this time she's not there because of her pride. Sometimes we end up in a desert season as the consequence of our own actions. Other times you end up in a desert seasons because of the actions of someone else. 
How many of you know that life can bring you more than one desert season, right? If you don't have your hand up, just keep living (laughs) and you'll realize that what I just said is true. In Genesis chapter 21, Hagar's in the desert again. Ishmael is now 13 years old. They're out of water. There's no food. They're in the desert, scorching heat. Ishmael's about to die. They had no friends, no extended family to run to, no money saved up in the bank. There's no record of them having a a sheep or a donkey with them. Things look desperately bleak again. She feels all alone again. In Genesis 21, verse 16, we pick it up. Then Hagar went and sent down, sat down opposite Ishmael a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, so as far as you could shoot an arrow, pretty far away. For she said to herself, do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up, lifted up her voice and wept, and God heard the voice of the boy. Now listen to me. If you are a teenager, God hears your prayers. God heard the voice of this 13-year-old boy. If you're a teenager, you are never alone. Even if everyone else has given up on you, even if your mom and dad would give up on you, that doesn't mean that God has given up on you. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. See, here's part of the good news that we can pull out of Hagar's story. God doesn't just meet us in our desert seasons. God keeps on meeting us in our desert seasons. He says to Hagar, what troubles you, Hagar? In other words, we can bring our troubles to God in our wilderness seasons. He goes on and he says, Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went, filled up the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. In verse 20 of Genesis 21, it goes on, God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This brings us to the third thing we see, which is this. Remembering God's promises from the last hard time will help you get through this hard time. When we feel alone, when things are hard, when we're in a desert season, the great temptation is to forget what God has already said and already done in the last desert season in the last wilderness season that's what happens to Hagar she literally named her son Ishmael which means God hears at God's command because God wanted her to always remember that God would hear her in her distress Hagar had forgotten the promise from the first desert season to make Ishmael a great nation. Obviously, if he died there in their second wilderness season, then that would have not happened. So what does God do? He reminds her of the promise that he gave her in the first desert season. He says, lift up the boy, and here it is, for I will make a great nation of him. Then all of a sudden, Hagar notices a well in front of her. Why? Because God does not make empty promises. No matter how long it takes, 
God fulfills his word. It might be at the very last minute. It might be when you're at the lowest of your lows. It might be when you're at rock bottom. It might be when you're in your driest season. It might be when you're in your darkest season. Dr. Gardner Taylor was a pastor in New York City, and uh, he actually taught preaching at Harvard Divinity School for a number of years. And once when he was young, he was preaching in Louisiana uh, during the Great Depression. And at that point in our country's history, uh, electricity was just coming into that part of the country. He was in a rural church that had just one light bulb that was hanging down from the ceiling and it was used to light up the entire sanctuary. So he's up there and he's preaching away and in the middle of the sermon, all of a sudden, the electricity goes out. The building went pitch black and being a young preacher, Dr. Taylor didn't know what to say. He stumbled around a little bit until one of the elderly congregants sitting in the very back of the church cried out, preach on preacher. We can still see Jesus in the dark. (laughs) You know, sometimes that's the clearest time we can see him. In the dark. When the chips are down, when everything seems to be going wrong, when we've got no one else, when there's no distractions. And part of the good news of the gospel is that whether we can see him in the dark or not, he can see us in the dark. He can see us in our dark and desert seasons. Take heart. If you're in that season now, take heart. If you're not in that season now, but you know one of those seasons will come to you in due time in life, take heart. Why? Because he knows your name. Because your story's not over. Because God gets the last word and he has promised that we are never alone. Let's pray. Before we come to this communion table, I want to give us a moment to reflect upon God's word. And God, I'm asking by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you apply your word and this message to those online, to those that are present physically in this space as well? Listen, friend, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are never alone. You might feel alone, you might feel insignificant, you might feel unseen, but that is not who you are. Will you listen for God to call your name? Maybe for some of you, online or here in person, it's for the very first time that you're gonna listen and say, okay, God, I'm listening, here I am. Call my name. And for the very first time, You could say, okay, God, I'm saying yes to you. I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm trusting in your goodness because I see your goodness on the cross where you paid for me and my sin that I could be set free of that and forgiven before your eternal throne and made new. If that's you for the very first time, just say, God, I'm saying yes to you. Your next step is to be baptized. Others of you, you've heard God call your name, but maybe like Hagar, you've heard it, but it's been a while. Maybe you feel distant. You feel like you're in a dry season. 
may you hear him call your name again. And when he does, will you let that change your understanding of yourself? Let him change you even before he changes your circumstances. Doesn't matter what anybody else has said about you. Doesn't matter even what you've said about you. What matters is what God has said about you. He sees your needs. He knows your name. And like Hagar, let me ask you the question that God asked her. What troubles do you need to bring to God today? He will listen as he did with Hagar. Where do you need guidance from God today? Ask him for it. He gave it to Hagar. He'll give it to you if you ask him. God promises that in James 1.5. He says, if any of you are lacking wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not uh, expect to receive anything from the Lord. Maybe you would just say, God, sometimes I feel like I am blown like the wind and the waves. Give me a trust and a faith that you're going to speak to me and give me the guidance that I need. Or maybe others of you. What promise do you, do you need to remember from your last desert time to help you in this desert time? Hagar had forgotten what the Lord promised, but he reminded her. What promise does God want to remind you of? And maybe it's just this simple but profound promise. I am the God who sees you. I know your name. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You may feel alone, but the truth is you are never alone because I'm with you. In fact, the one who took on the name Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he had gathered his disciples together and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after the supper, he took a cup and he said, this is the cup of the shedding of my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Now, in a moment, if you're a Christian, we're gonna take communion all together. We're gonna do it a little different this time. So we're gonna take it all together at once. Those of you who are not Christians, you can just feel free to uh, watch but not participate during this time. But I want to give us a moment to do what Scripture says, which is discern the body. And so even now, let's pray. God, we ask now that you would help us not take this symbol of your body for granted. Lord, when we take communion, we can only take it by your grace because of what you've done. You are the God who sees our need and knows our name. The God who stands by his promises. Let me ask you, if you're a believer, whether you just gave your life to Christ or you did a while ago, is there any area of your life that you need to confess to God? An attitude of your heart, an action that you did? 
something you know God is saying, I don't want you to do that. You did it anyways. Come and receive His mercy. He's paid for it on the cross. And yet communion isn't just about confession. It's also about thanksgiving. Where do you just need to say thank you, God? Maybe for His Word. Maybe for salvation. Maybe for His Holy Spirit. Maybe for the people that He's put around you. Maybe for your job. Whatever it is. Where do you seem to say, God, I just, I just want to say thank you. And so, God, I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, the one who's promised that never shall I leave you, never shall I forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age, he said to those who are his disciples. If you're a follower of Christ, you can go ahead and grab those little individual communion elements that are there. And let's start with the bread. You can go ahead and take that bread and get it out. And once you have it, just hold it for a moment. I'll give you a second. This is the body of Christ, which was broken for you, for us, and for our salvation. Take and eat, and as you eat, remember what Christ has done and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Next, you can take the cup. This is the blood of Christ that was shed for us and for our salvation. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of what he's done for us. For it is by the shedding of his blood that we have the grace to receive forgiveness of our sin and to be made new in Christ, not only now, but forever. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of him. God, we thank you that you are the God who sees us, that you are the God who knows our name, sees our need, guides us and provides for us. May that fill us with peace and confidence, grace and joy as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.